any good Southern movie needs to make you feel hot while you watch it. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. And this month, we are talking about the Southern film genre, a genre that is not fully defined, but we are trying to define it this month. In, in September, we're trying to define it. Uh, it's it's a genre that I've always loved, and that I know, Thomas, I think you've always loved because we're both in the South. Um, so we're in part two right now. What did we talk about last week when we talked about To Kill a Mockingbird? Yeah, so with To Kill a Mockingbird, we talked a, a lot about the the influence of kind of Southern literature mm-hmm. on the uh, on the film genre. And um, which we'll get into again this week. Um, we also just in last week's episode, both of us kind of brought up the the uh, Southern Gothic genre as being something that's very influential. And, and I think there's some of that into Kill a Mockingbird. I wouldn't call it a Southern Gothic in a way, but it does feature that kind of like all the all these like some of the visuals tensions, yeah, yeah. tensions that have been hidden and like people's darkest sides like bubbling to the top Um with a lot of Southern Gothics that that's, it's a little bit more contained, uh, which we're going to see today. Whereas with to killing mockingbird, it's about kind of seeing a whole town yeah. uh, that happened to a whole town. And, and to, I think to kill mockingbird does it really well because instead of it being this thing where it's like, Oh, everyone's kept this hidden. It's, it's seeing it through the eyes of a child who's kind of seeing these dark things come up for the first time mm-hmm. that she's she's never really noticed it before yeah and 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 when when talking about themes what are what are some other things we've talked about because we talked about kind of which i think will come in today and uh, this like repression like repressed either mm-hmm. uh sexuality sometimes race as well of these kind of racial racial tensions that um are always kind of lingering in the history of the south yeah there's always this divide in in the southern genre of what is and isn't acceptable to to say out loud and when what needs to be kept hidden and and whether that's you know racism incest rape in in to kill a mockingbird or mm-hmm. homosexuality which we'll be talking about today mm-hmm. uh it, it it's yeah it's such an interesting genre and i think it does with these first two films that we're starting out with kind of earlier films that took place during the Hayes code i think it's a genre that lends itself well to the Hayes Code because it is about a people who are kind of like have have their own Hayes Code imposed yeah. upon themselves yeah. in, in everyday life. Um, you know, it's about this kind of Southern properness, this Southern uh, mannerisms that 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 mean that anything kind of unpleasant or outside of the norm has to be buried deep down inside and can't come out anymore. And so you get a lot of drama when those things do bubble up to the surface yeah and it's things too as as an audience member like you can either catch or not catch if that makes sense it's mm-hmm. like i think we're gonna, I'm gonna we're gonna talk about this later uh when we have a guest on for fried green tomatoes which is a movie that kind of deals with similar things where it's like there's stuff below the surface but never fully said um but if you read into it you'll see kind of the the subtext behind it all and and i think the southern film genre as you said it's like it's very much about subtext and mm-hmm. what's not being said um, and there's also too we talked briefly. It's not that's going to play today, but this idea of sometimes there's a fantastical element to some of these southern films, um, either in the visuals or in the storyline, or sometimes there is a um, kind of a storytelling aspect because the South is full of storytellers, 
And we discussed this with Kellen Mockingbird a little bit because of the narration they have. And I feel like, I mean, the Callan Hot Ten Roof that we're talking about today is not really fully focused on that, but there are moments of like where characters sit down and kind of tell somewhat of a story in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's very inherent in uh, in the the culture of the South. So so you picked Cal and the Hot Tin Roof for today's movie. And why was this your like your number one pick for Southern film genre? Well, I knew I knew when we embarked upon this month that we needed Psalm Tennessee Williams because yeah. I think so much of his work is so influential in this genre. I think when I think Southern Gothic, I, I often think of his his plays and the, the film adaptations of his plays and, and specifically Cattle on a Hot Tin Roof. I think of a little bit more than than streetcar streetcar named desire because we, we we you and I talked about this a little bit when we were fleshing this month out. I I think of a lot of like New Orleans set things as separate from kind of yeah. the southern genre because New Orleans has so much distinctive flavor in itself mm-hmm. that it it does kind of it's like a sub sub genre yeah. of the southern film is like the New Orleans film. And I definitely think of streetcar as as a New Orleans film. So Cat on a Hot Tin Roof is one to me that is is set kind of in the South, just kind yeah, of yeah. openly in the South, but could be in really any state in in the Southeast, really, and is is not quite as like regionally tied and is a little bit more universal to just kind of like family drama and family secrets and 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 who hates who and <laughs> uh, everyone just kind of getting fed up with each other. Yeah, I think. Because streetcar, I love, um, but I also think too, in terms of the idea of of repressed, uh, like repression and sexual repression, I think it's a more interesting conversation with Cal and Hot Tin Roof than than streetcar. Streetcar has mm-hmm. some things, but this one specifically has a lot of a lot of uh, I guess meat on the bone to discuss. Yeah, so Cal and Hot Tin Roof was released in 1958. Uh, if you want to watch along with us, it is currently available to rent on Amazon. Uh, brief plot summary. Um, uh, the, the Pollock family is gathering for the birthday of their patriarch, Big Daddy, who is a, uh, a cotton magnet in the, uh, in the South who lives on a very large, uh, cotton farm. And he has just returned from the hospital where he's been received some examinations for some like stomach pains he's been having and Mm. at the birthday party all kind of staying in the big house are big daddy and his wife big mama and then their youngest son uh brick and his wife maggie which brick is just as of like the day before broken his leg trying to relive some of his glory days as a high school athlete and uh the older son uh gooper and his wife may and their their brood of of children Mm -hmm. and uh during the course of the party it a a lot of kind of secrets come out and it it all it all kind of boils down to uh big daddy is dying and gooper is is after his inheritance while big daddy is set upon kind of setting brick on who's fallen into like alcoholism like making sure he's on the right path before he goes so we've got paul newman as brick got elizabeth taylor as his wife maggie maggie the cat and uh burl ives as as big daddy 
And the um, it was adapted, like we said, from a Tennessee Williams stage play and um, written and directed by Richard Brooks, who also wrote uh, Key Largo, which we have discussed on this. Uh, he wrote the, the script for Key Largo? The script for Key Largo, yeah. Oh, and um, did not know that. Wrote okay. and directed a lot of other films. He was a, he was an MGM guy. Um, he had done Brothers Karamazov. He did In Cold Blood. That's he did Elmer Gantry. Yeah. So, uh, Brandon, I understand you saw this film for the first time yeah i'd never seen count a hot tin roof before this episode it's one that's always like as a person who loves southern films it's always one that escaped me for some reason i don't know why because mm-hmm. it's also like now i'm just like southern films but also just like 1950s era like i feel like this is one i should have seen pre me being like the age i am um mm-hmm. and for some reason i never had um i really enjoyed this film i think it's one because here's the thing this goes into a separate discussion but like i love like stage play movies like Mm -hmm. i really do and some people talk about like because i I read a few reviews of people that i know on like letterbox talking about like oh this is very stagey like it's just a lot talking and not much happening but i just really love watching like actors act and if there's mm-hmm. great material, I think it's always entertaining. I think this happened. This happened with um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is the one that comes to mind of like, everyone's like, oh, yeah, but it feels like a stage play. I was like, yeah, so what? Like, it's like we're seeing great <laughs> actors act. And I think this is the case here where, yeah, it's a lot of it just takes place in rooms. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, there's not a lot of outside on the estate or whatever, a little bit, but not much. But, yeah, a lot of it's in rooms and just people talking and discussing their issues and i feel like it's just a a well-told movie it's like it's not flashy of course but i feel like the 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 material doesn't call for it to be flashy i think the interesting part i wrote this down and then that when i was reading your one of the articles you sent me um is that this movie has a lot of stuff that was cut from the film or cut kind of cut or adapted in some way to make it more Mm -hmm. um mainstream i guess you could say more hollywood and what's interesting now watching it is that because i i knew what the original kind of play dealt with is that i kind of substitute that in with like what they're talking about does that make sense yeah no i i 100 agree i think we can we can dive into that more but yeah. um yeah yeah we'll, we'll get into that more but i'm i'm not sure that i yeah i i think a lot of people had kind of this this immediate reaction to it when it came out who were very Mm -hmm. familiar with the play and i i think with time i think you can see that there's more in there yeah than people might have thought right away yeah it's like because everything everyone when when i when i listen to it and watch it i'm like oh they're talking about this thing they're talking about and we'll Mm -hmm. go into it when we favorite things but we're talking about a person being having a kind of a unspoken relationship with someone and in the mm. movie it's somewhat portrayed as like masculinity and like a a, a, a kind of a, just a close friendship and like hero like a hero worship type thing but it's very much not the case and i and i i wonder if people like elizabeth taylor and paul newman i wonder how they played it when they were doing it if they're mm. playing with these characters as these characters with that intention of just the the hero worship or was there more under the surface they were playing yeah because that happens sometimes i think this movie is a very interesting case study as far as the Hayes code yeah. goes. yeah i agree completely um, 
and yeah we'll, we'll we'll get in i've got some more info on that as we yeah. go along okay so. um so so yeah that those are my thoughts what were your thoughts in rewatching it this time yeah it's been a it's been a while since i revisited this one I, I watched it in college kind of on my own it wasn't really in a class or anything although i did um study a, a good bit of tennessee williams in college but um this was one that didn't come across in my in my like very brief stint in drama classes when we studied uh, glass menagerie or, or, you know, in my film classes when we studied Kazan, um, this was one that was like never shown to me. So I, fi- I just kind of sought it out because I love, uh, I love Newman and I, I went through a, a period in college, like right after a film professor showed me a place in the sun where I was just like watching everything with Elizabeth Taylor yeah, yeah. I could get my hands on. And so this one like popped up for me and yeah, that it was one when I, as soon as I walked away, I was like, that is like the South. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we don't all go through like that same drama as, as like high drama as, as some of the stuff is, but just, just the way, I mean, just straight down to like the annoying kids that, and then like that one, like it, it feels like a family reunion sometimes. Like the one mom that's like trying way too hard to make everyone like her kids and no one likes them. And yeah. <laughs> um, and, and all this stuff about the inheritance, like may is such a, may is such a fun kind of, uh, Southern caricature character. But when you watch it, everyone's like, I know her. Yeah. yeah. And I know a may like, I know a she, sister woman. For I know sure. a sister woman. Yeah, Cause she, it's like, she's the one that's pushing all the buttons and like trying to push a uh, goop gooper, uh, into doing certain things but yeah it was it was it was great to revisit it i think um like you said i I hadn't come to it in a while and so i was watching it kind of as i was like how do they how do they do like this you know play as a film kind of thing which which the the stage play is all set in just their bedroom which you kind of see a little bit in the in this you know sometimes they'll be like oh we'll bring the party up to you brick because yeah. your, your ankle's broken yeah but um I, I don't know i think some of the the movement is and some of the like set changes are really dynamic in this yeah um i i kind of i love the whole sequence and we can get into it more in in favorite scenes when when big daddy kind of chases brick downstairs and then he, he they're in the study and then he kind of like calls maggie in and the, the, the I, I think it i think it works really well so yeah it was um it was great. It was great to revisit it. I still think it's a powerhouse from from all the leads. Yeah, I think in one of the articles, and again, again, we keep saying we'll talk about some favorite scenes, but like one of the things you said, like everyone kind of has a moment mm-hmm. in the movie, and I, and like there, and I'll talk like Jack Carson who plays Gooper. I think has a great moment in the film at one point where you're like, oh, like it, it's it's almost like everyone can bring their a game when they're given this scene, like in this mm-hmm. in this film um so yeah like we did last week i think kind of the story of this film has to start with the story of tennessee williams yeah i agree um so tennessee williams was born thomas lanier williams the third nice name um, (laughs) in columbus mississippi in 1911 uh williams father was an alcoholic abusive traveling shoe salesman and his mother was an overbearing devout daughter of a an episcopal preacher so um can kind of off the bat yep. you can already see where some of these stories come from yep um williams was a sickly child he had typhus when he was young and led to him being inside most of his childhood uh-huh. grew up mostly interested in reading and writing to his father's um often violent disappointment uh, and his mother responded to his illnesses by just kind of smothering him uncomfortably he said his, his only comfort in childhood was his beloved older sister rose 
who was often sick as well and was uh, diagnosed a little bit later in her life with schizophrenia. As a teen, the Williams family moved to Mississippi, where his father was promoted to a job at a shoe factory. Williams started writing and submitting his writing to magazines in high school. Some of his essays and short stories were published in magazines. He first attended University of Missouri to study writing, but his father pulled him out of school his junior year to come work in the shoe factory. During that period, Williams was working in the factory all day and writing all night, um, sometimes not sleeping at all, mm -hmm. uh, eventually leading to a nervous breakdown at the age of 24. Jesus. This time in his life, kind of being a factory worker and then having a nervous breakdown would become the inspiration for Stanley Kowalski and Streetcar Named Desire. Mm -hmm. um, Williams would eventually re-enroll in college uh, after his mom had, had moved out and left his father, and he kind of broke off any contact with his father. Um he first enrolled at Washington University at St. Louis and then the University of Iowa and mm -hmm. eventually moved to New York to study playwriting after he graduated. For the next few years, um, he just kind of traveled around the country working odd job to odd job while he wrote until he uh, eventually landed an artist in residency role for the Works Progress Administration from FDR mm -hmm. um, that uh, landed him in New Orleans in 1939. Okay. Is where his kind of love for new orleans began and and he continued to kind of visit and live in new orleans and various parts of his for the rest of his life he also received a six-month contract to write for mgm around this time just kind of based off of he hadn't had a successful play yet but but he caught the eye of somebody at mgm didn't know that yeah it would be a few more years uh in 1944 his play the glass menagerie was first produced in chicago eventually moved to broadway and earned him his first success um another important thing about the glass menagerie is it showed that williams was at his strongest when he tapped into his own life yeah. not all of his kind of short stories before were as personal but glass menagerie uh with the overbearing mother mm -hmm. uh, amanda is a representation of his own mother while uh, the mentally ill daughter laura is based on his own sister rose mm -hmm. Um, the Glass Menagerie also debuted a year after Rose had been lobotomized to treat her schizophrenia. And uh, Williams would eventually move her to a care facility in New York and look after her for uh, the rest of his life. She would outlive him. Oh, wow. Um, he followed up Glass Menagerie in the streetcar named Desire in 1947, which cemented him as a uh, New York sensation. Mm -hmm. For the next uh, 10 years, he launched hit after hit seven plays in 10 years that were all hits on the New York dramatic scene. By 1959, he had two Pulitzers, three New York Drama Critics Circle Awards, and a Tony Award. Damn. After, um, after moving to New York in the early 40s, Williams lived openly as a gay man, having a series of short-lived relationships before meeting Frank Merlo in 1949. Um, William and Merlo would eventually be together for 15 years. Um, shortly after their breakup, Merlot was diagnosed with inoperable lung cancer and Williams cared for him until his death in 1963, which Williams took very hard, um, turning to drugs to treat his depression and insomnia after Merlot's death. And he spent much of the 60s and 70s in and out of rehab and mental health facilities, never really recapturing any sort of literary success. Um, Williams eventually died on February 25th, 1983. Although the medical examiner ruled that he had choked to death on a plastic eyedropper, um, most oh, of his God. friends attributed his death to an accidental overdose on second all, which is a barbiturate he was addicted to. 
And though Tennessee Williams had requested in his will to be buried at sea, his brother claimed that their late mother had converted Williams to Catholicism during his time in rehab and said that Williams would want a Catholic burial next to his mother. Many of his friends lamenting that though Williams had wanted the freedom of the sea for his afterlife, he was instead trapped next to his mother that he could never escape. Oh, God, that's terrible. So that's not Southern Gothic for you. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yeah. (laughs) Turning to Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, the stage version, which debuted in 1955, was an instant success. It earned the Pulitzer Prize for drama that year. The original production starred Barbara Bel Geddes as Maggie and Ben Gazzara as Brick. Ben Gazzara. Uh, Hell yeah. yeah with uh, Burl Ives as Big Daddy mm-hmm. and uh, directed by Elia Kazan. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't long before a film adaptation was put into work. This was 1955. Uh, yeah. In 51, the adaptation of Streetcar had, had been a huge hit. And uh, a 1950 adaptation of Glass Menagerie had done really well as well. So a lot of the studios were kind of keeping a close eye on, on Williams' work at this point. Due to the Hayes Code, uh, the adaptation of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof became a very controversial topic around New York and Hollywood, with everyone knowing that the uh, homosexual themes of the play would definitely not be allowed in the film version. Mm -hmm. So uh, Kazan removed himself from the running to direct this film. He and Williams had had some falling out um, during the production of the stage play of this. Okay. The original ending was f- from kind of interviews with Williams and Kazan. The the original ending was was even more bleak, and it was Kazan who kind of put his foot down and said that that there needed to be some redemption for at least Brick and Maggie towards the end of the um, towards the end of the play, and it, and it led to kind of a falling out with them. They yeah. would only go on to do one more play together after this. George Cukor was approached to direct the film, but turned it down out of disappointment that the homosexual themes had been were going to be removed due to the Hayes Code. Yeah, and Cukor was a was a was a gay man in Hollywood at that time to 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 give yeah. that context. Ben Gazzara also removed himself from the running to reprise his role, uh, presumably for the same reason. Interesting. That's a lot. It's like a Spartacus thing right here. Is that we're all just like <laughs> we're, we're stepping away if it's going to be in there. Yeah. Uh, MGM eventually handed the movie over to Richard Brooks, a reliable studio writer-director who had already adapted uh, several uh, hit plays into film, including the Brothers Karamazov, which he would have just finished up when when this he got started on this one. Um, so then the cast came along. Obviously, Taylor and Newman were both very hot at this point. Um, we'll go, we'll go in later to who some of the other people who were uh, considered were. And Burl Ives agreed to return from the stage play along with Madeline Sherwood, who plays May in the in the film. She was she was May in the original play as well. Gotcha. Um, So filming was set to begin. It was delayed, however, when Elizabeth Taylor took sick the week filming was supposed to start. Um, She wasn't able to shoot for that first week, but also because of her illness, she wasn't able to travel with her husband, Mike Todd who was going to New York for a Friars Club reception where he was to receive an honor. Todd's flight to New York crashed, uh, killing everyone on board. God. And uh, production was delayed a month after that to give uh, Taylor time to grieve. Yeah, as you were saying that, I was like looking up her marriages and I see Mike Todd and it shows died. I was like, oh, what happened there? And then you're like, he died in a plane crash. Like, oh. Yeah, it was her her only only husband that she did not divorce. And um, 
from all accounts she was she was devastated by this one um well yeah so that's that's the story of leading up to production of this so let's uh this one's this one's a little tough to do favorite scenes because it's uh all kind of yeah, one it's, scene it's, a lot but... <laughs> of it's all yeah it's kind of a lot of big scenes so it's more just like we'll, we'll kind of break this down a little more uh well first off elizabeth taylor in this movie is fantastic yeah. um taylor I, I, she has i mean she's one of the like biggest stars at this point in time because like, you think is that like she gets billed over paul newman in this movie like she is one of the few actors slash actresses that started off as a child star and was able to somehow uh evolve and transition into more like uh and into heftier kind of more complex roles as time mm-hmm. went on, I think it's like her and oh, Natalie yeah. Wood. Her and Natalie Wood are the two that I think of. Of they start off with like little child actors, transition to like kind of teen roles of some kind, and then go into that kind of woman, the uh, more complex uh, woman woman roles. Um, Natalie Wood uh, did play Maggie in a filmed for TV version. She of did Cat on a Hot Tin Roof because Natalie Wood was very obsessed with uh, she. Her favorite actress of all time was Vivian Lee side story to because i'm apparently the, the natalie wood aficionado here on this podcast uh <laughs> she loved like tennessee william plays and like wanted to like, like wanted to be blanche uh dubose or, or or dubois um and like wanted to do a tennessee williams thing that's why she did um this property is condemned which i think we mentioned last week on the show yeah because uh um the 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 actress that played scout uh, and kill mockingbird was in it but that was like based on i think a tennessee williams like one act play and she was like this is the closest i'll ever have to being like blanche and then she would later do kind of versions of tennis i think she even might have done streetcar on on, on stage it might have just been counting hot to anyway yeah so but these are kind of the two taylor and wood are the two that really transitioned successfully from every stage in her career and th- their careers that's very difficult back then and it's difficult today to kind of make that jump and this is one where you really see how talented i think taylor is with taking on a role especially as one of the articles said how kind of because the 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 character changed so much because of the deletions of the Mm -hmm. the homosexual kind of storyline that was happening i think she handles it well but yeah so i think i mean the big thing this her first scene with paul newman um when she's like talking about how i'm a i'm like a cat on hot tin roof type thing like that whole stuff i think is is masterful in terms Mm -hmm. of direction in terms of acting um i think they're i think newman and taylor really are great together yeah in this film yeah and that's that that part's tough on taylor because kind of by design newman's not giving her a lot yeah at that point early on brick is brick is like completely ignoring her and and so she's just kind of like constantly pouring her heart out to him just to get like a brick a brick yeah, wall br- brick wall hey uh, yeah. <laughs> well and that kind of leads to the big the big line is the maggie the cat is alive type i think i think it's that at the end of that mm-hmm. scene where it's just, like that's where she kind of blows up finally of like maggie the cat is alive because that's kind of her everyone ha- i mean it's weird everyone kind of has their little nicknames and he she's maggie the cat um mm. and yeah i think she is and she's interesting because she was sister woman sister woman's 
always like trying to like make Gooper do certain things of some kind and kind of like it's she's very apparent with like her motives. But Maggie's character feels a little bit more like secretive in what she's doing. Does that make sense? It's like mm-hmm. she's kind of pl- she, she's kind of playing big daddy to an, to an extent. Like there's a there's a weird relationship there that's never fully talked about of of how she like how big daddy really loves her and it's and I, I mm-hmm. is there like is like is there like a relationship between the two because it's like when she get when he gets off the plane from uh being tested by the doctor it's like he's more excited to see maggie than anyone else in the family mm-hmm. um and so it's like you, you can see that she has kind of these I don't want to say manipulative because I don't think she, I, I think she can be. Yes. But that's not the negative word. I think she's very, um, she's very, she's a very intelligent character and she's very, she's mm-hmm. playing all angles uh, in the, in the, in the, in the story and not like sister one who's like, we just want the money. I think Maggie's very much like we can, we can find other ways to get the money from big daddy if we want to. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, if the, the movie itself kind of has to some, up the themes of it to one where it's that uh, that uh mendacity you know kind of this this term for untruthfulness but the film kind of specifically applies it to that type of like southern two-faced um like when you're when you're just talking to somebody like may and you just get the feeling they're just saying what they think you want to hear Yeah. yeah and so although uh maggie does kind of play into that you know she 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 strokes big daddy's ego but but i do think there's there's a humanity to maggie and brick that is that does kind of cut through that that mendacity or at least we we understand that both of them are at least disgusted with themselves for partaking in it whereas whereas may and gooper and even big mama aren't necessarily like they've just kind of fallen into that role and they're fine with it if i thought you'd Never, never make love to me again. I'd find me the longest, sharpest knife I could, and I'd stick it straight into my heart. I'd do that. Oh, Brick, how long does this have to go on, this punishment? Haven't I served my term? Can't I apply for a pardon? Maybe that finishing school was yours sounds like you was running upstairs to tell somebody the house was on fire. Is it any wonder? You know what I feel like? I feel all the time like a cat on a hot tin roof. Then jump off the roof, Maggie. Jump off it. Our cats jump off roofs and they land uninjured. Do it. Jump. Jump where? Into what? Take a lover. I think I think for, for this episode and for this subject. Yeah. A little bit of spoilers here. But I do I do think we should go we because a lot of the kind of fallout of this movie is going to be about the changes in adaptation so i think i think we should go into a little bit okay so so do you want to tell us in, in the in the film version what is the kind of big secret that we get to between maggie and brick so well maggie and, there's a few things so maggie and brick it's they their marriage is basically kind of uh it's a sexless marriage is what's come to mm-hmm. be um and they kind of try to pinpoint it they try to kind of attach it to what's happened with uh with brick and his his friend skipper uh who had committed suicide and 
uh, Brick is, as we said, is a former football player, professional football player, as was Skipper. And there's this very kind of unspoken kind of like relationship with them in a way, but it's kind of seen as like a hero worship story of like, because there's a big argument of like, uh, when Maggie gets on to him, like, oh, like he was nothing without you. Like when you weren't playing, like he got basically murdered out there on the field. Like you were always trying to protect him in some way. Um, and then it's kind of, and then Maggie essentially like has sex with Skipper is the other thing. Um, and that prompts kind of a rift in, in Brick and Skipper's relationship. And then Skipper yeah, as, as like a way to, to get back in, at in Brick her logic to like sex, sabotage yeah, to say, yeah. yeah, it's like if, if Skipper cheats on, you know, Skipper is willing to sleep with his best friend's wife, then, then we can, then he's not a good friend and we can kick him out of our lives. We came out of our lives and then, and then you'll come back to me and have sex with me. It's kind of what, it's kind of what the logic feels like. And she's, and she's like, basically she's like ridiculing him. Like, yeah, your friend like didn't take much for this to happen. Like what a good friend he was. Um, and, and that's kind of the secret that's revealed to the family and Skipper commits suicide. And then that's essentially like, broken brick in some way and it's portrayed as he's lost a friend uh and a friend that essentially had sex with his wife yeah and that that skipper had called yes called uh brick and kind of confessed and asked for forgiveness and and brick had hung up on him and that's why skipper and that's what killed skipper, skipper killed himself and so it's the kind of like who's to blame brick kind of blames himself but also blames maggie in a way it feels like because if she wouldn't have tried to seduce skipper skipper wouldn't have killed himself and this was kind of, it's what kind of the crux of this secret yeah. in the film yeah so so in the stage version um maggie suspects that that skipper and uh brick are in a are in a homosexual relationship and confronts skipper about it and although there may be some sort of attraction between brick and skipper skipper insists that nothing has happened and and tries to sleep with maggie to prove that that he's straight yeah um and is unable to and ends up calling brick and kind of confessing his feelings for brick to which brick hangs up on him or rebuffs him and then skipper kills himself so well yes a more more open with the uh with the, the 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 homosexual themes there and then brick is after that not only racked with grief but still kind of questioning after having been yeah. kind of directly confronted about his sexuality still kind of questioning that and 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 where he lies within that so that's that's what was that's the adaptation that was made to to appease the Hayes code and we'll talk a little bit later about how people kind of received that but like i said with all the people backing out even before the adaptation was made, people knew ahead of time that 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 wasn't going to fly. That that yeah, storyline yeah, yeah. was just not going to pass the Hayes Code in in 1957. Yeah, and that goes. With, we've talked about this briefly, I think, a few previous times. I don't know when, but over the years of this podcast, of just like what it's like. Like you gotta think is that when looking at films of this era, like what's happening in the literature world, what's happening in the theater world, everything's very like. I guess more progressive and more open about certain issues that are very more like either deleted completely from films of the time or like slightly put in there in its subtle mm -hmm. ways. It's like, that's the thing is like 
there, this wasn't really an issue when it came to the theater version. But mm -hmm. for some reason, when it comes to movies, I guess it's because it's now a more wide range thing with with theater. It's like it's just New York. It's just on this block. But when it comes to film, it's like we're not we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. Even if it's a book like with To Kill a Mockingbird, the stuff that was sometimes deleted, like or even other books that we'll talk about later. It's like people just for some reason don't think it will transition well with a wider audience. Um, and I think that's that's the case here. But what's what's interesting to see what they they cut this these things but then there's always that dna still present in the movie mm -hmm. like it's still exactly. very much there um so that's what's interesting of like was is that just we're reading into it now as i said earlier on is that we're reading into it now more because we know it was supposed to be there yeah there's definitely a question when you watch this even I, I honestly like the first time I saw this movie, I, I had not read the stage version, and, yeah. and there's, there's still definitely this, this like, I'm, I'm sorry, but just the, the, the whole like, I'm sad, my friend is dead, so I'm not sleeping with you, like that. Yeah, that, that is not as strong. That doesn't come through as strong as like I am. I'm heartbroken that that this guy that I, I was in love with that I didn't yeah. tell I was in love with has died. Yeah. yeah. And now I, I don't know what to do with myself sexually. Like yeah. I, I, I don't know what I want sexually. And so what I'm going to do is ignore you completely. Yeah. It's funny. I, I read a few people that, that uh, on my letterbox where they're just like, well, now I read up on it. My, my, uh, my instinct that uh brick was gay or something like that was true. Like, yeah. it's like, it's very much there. Like, even if you know nothing about the, the history of the show, you can still read into that. You can still see mm -hmm. that it's, it's very, very much there or it's, it's the, even just the re like with the arguments, even like, I, I feel like the, I wonder if the, the brother and sister know, cause sister woman always brings it up of like how, like she knows they're not having sex cause they can hear it. Like, or if it's just like, we just know you're in a bad marriage is what it is. Like, mm -hmm. I wonder how much of the characters like in the play version like are aware of like bricks inner turmoil i guess that makes sense big daddy definitely knows that there's something yeah between him and skipper like the, yeah. just the way big daddy kind of talks about skipper is like with with disdain for sure i didn't expect to spend my honeymoon in the locker room with the boys since when did the smell of a man ever injure your sensitive feelings football baby the idea of football smelled especially the notions of a professional team. Why, he didn't need any team of his own. He could have gotten a spot on any pro team in the country. You organized your own team on account of Skipper. You're a liar. On account he wasn't good enough to make it on his own. Professional football, Maggie, is a business, not a social club, a business. Oh, you mean the business of making money? Yeah, money. The stuff that your dreams are made of. Why, the Dixie Stars never made a nickel. Not from the first day to the last. It wasn't the money, it was the cheers. He lapped them up. Oh, the cheers didn't mean anything to me. Oh, but no? they meant something to you, didn't they? Because they shut you out, and that's what you hated, being shut out. Not by the crowds, baby. By you. By the man I worshipped. That's why I hated Skipper. You hated him so much that you got him drunk and went to bed with him. Well, since it's it's since it's still a little hard to do favorite scenes, I do just want to take a minute and highlight uh, Burl Ives. Yeah, Burl Ives is amazing. As Big Daddy. Yeah, yeah. 
he's yeah he, he i think he he i mean big daddy just like you said the way he he like bypasses his whole family and just like goes right to maggie very like lecherously goes straight to maggie like he kind of comes onto the screen just kind of like oozing like he just kind of slimy yeah and and by by the end of the film i think you do you do kind of feel for him yeah it's i mean the scene that comes to mind it's the ending scene of talking about his father yeah oh yeah that scene is amazing. And I, I think that that's the crux of like, and maybe that, that's not just a, that's a universal thing. That's not just a Southern thing, but I think that's very apparent in, in Southern stories. I, I, I read this, this kind of like father son dynamic and how you sometimes feel like you're trying to give your children the things you didn't receive when you were younger, mm-hmm. but in turn, forgetting the good things that you received along the way and so that's kind of the thing is that like he's talking about how his daddy left him nothing but the his spanish american war uniform and this old suitcase and it's the like uh talking about like you he he didn't give you things but he gave you love love was there and that's what newman what brick is always after is that you didn't care for us you just gave us stuff and you thought that would buy us love, but we just wanted love. And that's what you had. And it's the kind of thing where he's like talking about when when Big Day's talking about his dad and how his, when his dad died, he was laughing. And he's just like, I don't know why he was laughing. And he was like, he was probably happy that you were there in his final moments, that his, his young son was there. And it's the kind of realization that Big Day was like, oh, shit, like yeah that's what i've been missing all along as a father like that's the thing he's got that great line he's got that great line right after where he just kind of smiles and he's like have i ever told you stories about my old man and frick says about 50 times and uh it's it's yeah it's really great and that's always and that's the thing too it's like uh, hearing stories of like the family that you don't know if that makes sense i don't know if this this Mm -hmm. happens to you but this happened like my my uh my i didn't know my dad's father died before I was born. So I, I hear stories about him through his eyes is kind of the thing. Or I hear stories on my mom's side from her family, people that I didn't know that way. And it's these kind of sometimes very, for things you weren't around for, you still like try, put in your mind as part of your memory, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's something there with that is that brick is aware of how much his father loved his dad, even though he didn't see it. You know, some <laughs> lousy old trap died laughing. Laughing at what? Uh, himself, I guess. You know, a whole boat ramp. Not a nickel in these jeans, you know, no future, no past. Maybe he was laughing because he was happy. Happy at having you with him. He took you everywhere and he kept you with him. Uh, I don't want to talk about it. American War. Some memories. And love. 
Another favorite scene of mine, and I mean, it's kind of extended, but all the all the Gooper and May and Big yeah. Mama and Maggie in the in the kind of the study, like trying to talk her into signing the will. And we just keep and, coming and, back and, and forth from that in the basement scenes, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Maggie's got that great line where she's like, not only am I going to spit in your eye, but I'm going to punch it black and blue, too. And uh, <laughs> I love I love it's it's Tennessee Williams has got some of that great like he's got some some Spit like fire really di- great dialogue sharp, sharp dialogue, yeah. dialogue sometimes and there's that great moment when may is like shit talking brick's football career and then she like walks outside and he's been standing <laughs> he's there the whole time and she's like time. it's 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 and he's like it was the cotton bowl sister yeah. woman <laughs> she's like she's like it was the punch bowl right it was the punch bowl and he's just listening it was the cotton bowl sister woman yeah it, so going with that because i said earlier the brother gooper I really do love the scene and I think it's very relatable for some people that when he's talking to his mom about all the things I've done, it's that I did everything mm-hmm. you've asked of me. Like I did, I did the respectable thing. I did the traditional thing. I went and I worked hard and I went to college and I got a degree and I got a job and I got married and I had a family, everything I did that you asked me, I did. And now I'm asking for the one thing that's mine. And that's, I want this inheritance is kind of what it is. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't think really less of him. I actually get I understand what he's saying. He's saying like, I was the good son. And now all my work that I did to be the good son to you is being repaid by not receiving anything. And the person who did nothing. I think the only gets it all. The only difference between him and Brick is is he, he kind of says it too. He's like at first I was doing this to make Big Daddy happy and to get Big Daddy's love, which we we see that that that's all anyone has been looking after, for yeah. this whole time. And the only difference between him and Brick is at some point Gooper came to terms with the fact that he wasn't going to get Big Daddy's love and decided he was going to get money instead. Whereas that is that's all even if Brick says he's not interested in in love from Big Daddy anymore, he's he's definitely not interested in the money, and, yeah. he, and he is actually he he might need it if he doesn't yeah. want it. But um, well, that, but that uh, that's the only difference is that Gooper has has kind of come to terms with it and decided that he'll yeah. take the money instead. Well, it's that's that's the thing that's very apparent. It's the decision of where they go. Is that what does the mm-hmm. brother do? The brother stays upstairs to fight with the mom about what's going to happen when we bury that guy down in the basement. I want mm. his money. When Newman's like, I'm going down there to take care of my father. Mm. No matter how much I hate him, he's still my father. And I'm going to try to like... And I just broke his heart. But I just broke his heart. By telling him he's dying. And let me just give him... Again, let me give him some shred of like... It's the it's the story of, this, of, of, of Big Daddy's father dying with the son. Is that mm. Newman like wants to be down there? He's the one that injects the morphine in him to make him feel better. Like he's he's there with his dad in this dark time or this possible mm. I'm gonna die time when the brother's up there fighting for the money. And that shows you what the two characters are after is that he's still after the love and Gooper's after the money. Are you crying because you're childless? You know why she's got no kids? Ask her big, beautiful husband. Me! You just won't let me do this a nice way, will you? All right. You always said I never loved Big Daddy. How would you know? How would he know? Did he ever let anybody love him? For him, it was always brick, always. From the day he was born, he was always partial to brick. Why? Big Daddy wanted me to become a lawyer, I became a lawyer. 
He said, get married, I got married. He said, have kids, I had kids. He said, live in Memphis, I lived in Memphis. Whatever he said, do, I did, all right. Now, I don't give a damn whether Big Daddy likes me or don't like me or did or never did or will or will never. I've appealed for common decency and fair play. Well, now I'm telling you, I intend to protect my interests. I'm not a corporation lawyer for nothing. One thing I want to bring back up or bring up, because I just want to kind of connect the genre in a way here. I'm not sure where I do this with, but when looking at the kind of repression ideas and kind of the, the homosexual kind of storylines is that that, that is very much a, I think it's run through a lot of the, uh, some Southern stories in some way. And I think the interesting kind of the, almost like the, 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 the family tree, as you say, is this to like moonlight by Barry mm-hmm. Jenkins like because moonlight for people to don't know it's like it's a very it, that's actually a southern story it's, it takes place in florida for two-thirds of the film that's in georgia for one-third of the film and it's very much about this repressed kind of uh repressed sexuality or this idea of masculinity in some way or this this uh, of these hidden kind of truths to these characters and when th- when watching this film and knowing the kind of storylines have been cut i'm reminding of uh, of like that of like this like we go from this to 50 years later moonlight in a way and there is mm-hmm. there is connections between it um and even another movie later on that Elizabeth Taylor does called reflections in a golden eye which is just like about 10 years later and is now like you see the the barriers breaking down after the haze code of like we're pushing the boundaries mm-hmm. of what we can talk about and that version it's Marlon Brando who plays like a Southern like army general, like on a, on a, on a basic training camp. And he's married to Taylor. Who's aware that he's like, he has this kind of, uh, he's, he's aware that he's gay, but he's hiding it because of his, uh, his job and everything. And she kind mm-hmm. of like, she's emasculating to him a lot of the times because she's aware that he is, he is this person and they got married because they're too big because of their families, basically. But yeah, it's like you look at this like with Tennessee Williams, it all kind of starts with him and how it tracks for the for decades is that it kind of all comes back to Tennessee Williams and kind of this era of films and, and plays. Yeah, I do. And and kind of speaking of sec- sexual repression, I do think it's interesting in this one that the the family themselves are not very, you know, as as far as like when you do think of like Southern films and sexual repression, you think of like you know kind of puritanical terms and like christian terms yeah. and like we don't talk about sex until after marriage i do think it's interesting that that you know, like like big mama talks about getting pregnant out of wedlock yeah and and you know the the obviously may and and gooper are very prolific in their, <laughs> um, in their their mating but you know even talking about how they can hear each other through the walls it's and yeah. so i think i do think it's interesting that that this movie or the story in order to be focused more on kind of homosexual repression, it it does present a a family that is kind of like surprisingly open about heterosexuality at least. But also the thing is that are they open about that stuff uh, outside of closed doors? Cause they're in their home, but that's also, that's also an interesting thing with this film is we don't really see them outside outside you know, outside the of family other than yeah yeah the family crisis brings out the best and the worst in every member of the family that's the truth amen you won't talk about the truth 
You're not pregnant. She's still May. She made it up. I said shut up. Don't you try to kid us, Maggie. May. She's not kidding you. How can she have a child by you when you May, won't even... May, will you keep quiet? We occupy the next room. The walls between aren't soundproof. We hear the nightly pleading and the nightly refusal. Sister woman, not everybody makes as much noise about love as you do. Cool. A little bit about on-set life. Um, the movie was shot entirely on stage at MGM Studios, which is now Sony Studios in Culver City. Old by old, in your old neck of the woods, there, Tom. <laughs> yep, yep. It was shot for about two point three million dollars. Yeah. So Richards had originally intended to shoot the film in black and white, which was still the the standard at the time for the the dramatic or important films. You really saved color for kind of. Yeah. This was before blockbusters, but she saved color for the, the kind of family films or the adventure films. But um, after getting Taylor and Newman together for rehearsals, he realized he had to shoot it in color just to capture both of their famous blue eyes. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. OK, this should answer some questions you've posed throughout the episode. OK, uh, Newman was a fan of the play and signed on before reading the script. And was reportedly uh, disappointed after reading the script that the homosexual themes had been uh, adapted out and was allegedly caught a few times on set trying to slip lines of dialogue or parts of his performance into the film to bring those themes back. He's that damn good, y'all. That's I. that's probably why it's still there. That's why that DNA is still there is because I think he is just putting it in there for you and, mm -hmm. and probably Taylor as well. So in the aftermath, uh, Tennessee Williams launched a uh, campaign against the film. Uh, over the studios caving to the Hayes Code, um, even said to have gone up to audiences outside of the theater and said, go home, don't see this movie, it will set the film industry back 50 years. <laughs> it, seems, uh, it seems he would not be successful in warning audiences away. However, the movie proved extremely successful, uh, garnering rave reviews and earning the number one spot at the box office for five weeks straight. Wow. Most reviews did note that the... You know, the film, the adaptation suffered a little bit from losing the homosexual themes of the play, mm -hmm. but uh, many of them praised it for still being adapted well, despite the the, you know, constraints of the Hayes Code. Yeah. And from the uh, the fantastic performances from its cast, the film eventually went on to be nominated for six Oscars, losing Best Picture to Gigi. Cool. While Liz, Paul Newman and Liz Taylor were both up for lead actor awards, but did not win. Burl Ives did win that night, however, but it was for his role in The Big Country wow. and not for his role in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Yeah, Gigi, never seen it. I don't think it... Uh... I, I saw it once and I'm good. Yeah. You know? Don't I, need to see it again. I feel like what's most, why I most know about Gigi is that that was like Audrey Hepburn's breakout on stage, not in film. Mm -hmm. I think that's what she was on that kind of broke her out. Um, yeah, I'm looking at... Yeah, like I, I weird year because a lot of these movies I actually have not seen. Now that I look at this is one of those years where like I'm aware of some of these films, but never saw them, which makes me say it's somewhat of a weak year in a way, mm -hmm. which makes me wonder why this movie was swept uh, at the Oscars. Oh, God, Vertigo was this year and it gets sound yeah. design nomination. <laughs> Yeah, that classic Gigi. He's so much better than Vertigo. Yeah, rough year, rough year. So, okay, so it gets swept the Oscars. Anything else happen? 
next after uh, that? No, it, it, it's gone on to, to be remembered very fondly as a successful adaptation of, of Williams, despite his feelings about it. And um, yeah, it's, it's, an, it's a really interesting case uh, as far as adaptation goes. And I, I think you and I kind of read it the same way a lot of critics have read it. There have been some people who have obviously been very outspoken about what what happened as far as the adaptation i i mean i think it's disappointing but i also realized the the reality of the Hayes code yeah, yeah. And, and so in order to to make this film happen and to bring this story out that it was a necessity and and like we said newman and taylor are obviously doing their best to kind of keep that subtext there and i do think it, it comes through so yeah would it would it have been better if it was a faithful adaptation? Yes, but that just was not in the cards at that point, thanks to government oversight <laughs> when it comes to the film industry. Yeah, I will. I want to bring this up because I I, I want to make sure we don't understate this uh, with Tennessee Williams with with the kind of the film genre of this is that you had this in '58. So you said Glass Menagerie's '50, Streetcar Named mm. Desire's '51, Rose Tattoo '55, Baby Doll '56 uh with carl malden uh also directed by like leah kazan um count hot to 58 suddenly last summer 59 mm -hmm. with elizabeth taylor fugitive kind with marlon brando directed by saint lamette 59 like it's there's a period in this late 50s era where it's a run of like southern stories where everyone's trying to um kind of replicate the success of Tennessee Williams movie. There's even the the long hot summer with Paul Newman. Um, mm -hmm. That's this like that's it's very apparent in the late '50s where like they're trying to capture this like southern kind of southern story, kind of southern landscape. Even with something like uh, and, and usually always kind of deals with similar actors where it's the it's it's Brando, it's Newman, it's uh, Elizabeth. Like, like I think a HUD is another one too. A little bit later where mm -hmm. that's coming from a McMurtry novel where it's a Texas story. But like, I feel like Hollywood's definitely trying to explore regional stories a little bit more in this period because of the rise of people like Tennessee Williams. Yeah. So we've, we've already covered this fairly well, but um, this is our, what, what works section. Yeah. Um, well, the performances, of course, mm -hmm. I think the performances are, are, are fantastic. I, I think the, I mean, I like this. I like the cinematography. I like the use of Technicolor in this movie. I think because I, I when I think of this film, I think of the poster, mm -hmm. which could could honestly be a horror film if you want to be like, like it's, it's yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's the the guy who designed that poster mostly did like monster movies. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I said okay, then that makes sense then because yeah. it feels like it could be a horror film. Like if you put cat eyes above that about above cat on the hot tin roof, it'd be a it'd be a horror film. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think of that image, and that's always why I think of like this hot kind of summer, hot hot like humid southern oh. landscape. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think any good southern movie needs to make you feel hot while you watch it. <laughs> not not in a not in an aroused no. way. I'm talking. It needs to feel humid. Humid when you're watching it, and I think this one does. Especially, I love that that Maggie is kind of like constantly in a constant state of like changing. Yeah, which just feels very southern. Like you yeah, have to go through like three wardrobe changes a day, <laughs> a day because you sweated through all your clothes. And especially at this point, because there 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 ain't no AC. 
Like it's Mm-mm. it's hot Mississippi, hot human Mississippi in the summer probably. Does anything not work in this for you? I I don't really love the opening scene of the movie with like like having to explain the Newman injury in a way. It's very like mm. that era of filmmaking of like we got to explain it all. Like yeah. you could just start them at the house. Like honestly. Yeah. Um, well, it does feel that that is definitely a a trademark of the like stage to film adaptation is like yeah all right we're gonna we're gonna keep most of it in somewhat same setting but let's take advantage of of this opportunity to like explore that one scene that the play always like talks about like i can't tell you how many how many <laughs> movies you know do that there's i mean there's uh just recently with like one night in miami they have that opening sequence that like introduces all four Everyone, characters yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of outside of the yeah. outside of the the setting and then brings them all together right after that yeah with this it's not really needed like just like like you you could you could do a really cool intro of newman just like laid up in bed if you really want to mm-hmm. granted i think because of the the period it would not be as visually interesting as it's like if you did today like today, mm-hmm. I, today I think that you you'd, uh, you'd use close ups and kind of like staging a little bit better, but I feel like then it's like you kind of have explained it. It feels just very kind of fifties filmmaking. Um, I mean, this is I mean, this is really kind of the issue with with these films of this era, especially with the South, is kind of the uh, usually the 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 black characters are in the background of some way, and they're usually oh, yeah. portrayed as just the help is kind of the thing. Mm-hmm. And that's very apparent in this movie where it's usually it's, it's people who are working at the estate. Um, there's not a lot of complexity there um, with characters outside of this. And I think there was a I feel like there was an all all black version of this. I, I think there's been two, actually, yeah. one on the West End and one in New York. Yeah. I know Terrence Howard um, played Brick very pretty early on in his career. OK, so 08 is uh anika nani rose for for maggie terrence howard as brick james l jones as big daddy felicia rashad as big mama john carlo esposito as gooper that's a wow. that's a stat cast that cast is insane yeah. put that put that in a movie now I mean, a little bit older with some like with terrence howard and stuff but but damn that's a great cast and then scott johansson played maggie in a 2013 Wow, they've had really good people play these. this. this, this Brendan, Brendan, Fra- Brendan Fraser has played Brick before, I think, on the West End. Oh, really? Yeah. So the yeah I, the race issue is kind of that's always a prominent thing in, in these films, especially in the any time between like the fifth from really from the thirties or really from the silent film era yeah. onward. Uh, that is going to always be an issue that pops up in the genre for sure. Did anything not work for you? Yeah, like you said, I'm I don't I don't love the the kind of opening scene. Um honestly, yeah, as far as like kind of the ambitions of a film, I I, I do like Big Daddy kind of coming home in the the airport scene when he just kind of blows right past the kids. I like to open it up more. I feel like if you do yeah. this movie nowadays, you have to open it up a little bit if you can. Even though it's I mean, granted it takes place kind of all in one day, it would be it would be hard, but that would be one thing i tried to at least put them outside a little bit more the the only thing that 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 i think for me that i i hang up on sometimes that you didn't mention is um just kind of the way big daddy's like pains like always seem to come at the end of a big line of dialogue <laughs> you know that that's very like 
that's very like dramatic and stagey yeah, as he, he finishes fair. off saying something profound and he's like um, I don't love you yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah otherwise it's a great cast working with a with a very solid adaptation yeah yeah so a little bit of alternative universe cast for mm-hmm. you uh, James Dean was a favorite for the role directly after the success of the play you know, the play premiered in like 55 I'm sure the studios were talking about it immediately. James Dean was was the name being passed around a lot, but he passed away later in 1955. I got to be um, honest. You got to think about the amount of roles that went to other people that were that were supposed to be James Dean. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at like Brand, I, I, it's, it's Brando, it's Paul Newman. Even like I, I feel like, like say like a splinter in the grass, like I feel like they'd go for like a James Dean in that one and get Warren Beatty. Mm-hmm. Elvis, because I know specifically there were movies that Elvis ended up being in that it was written to be James Dean. Um, funny you should mention that Elvis turned down the role of Brick. <laughs> I did not. I did not know that, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, that's probably that's that's Colonel Tom Parker right there talking. Yeah, I was about to say, I, I don't have any I don't have any uh, evidence as to why but i don't imagine as as far as all these people who are turning down the movie because too much of the homosexual subtext was removed i have a feeling elvis may have felt there was still too much left in this movie yeah, <laughs> this doesn't yeah. really feel like an elvis project that's probably true well there's a lot of movies that elvis was i'm talking about elvis and natalie wood in the same podcast what is up with this uh <laughs> no uh no i think El- elvis was up for a lot of interesting roles that like probably didn't come to like fully get to him and mm-hmm. were turned down because of Colonel Tom Parker, his manager. I mean, the big one, the famous one, it's like A Star is Born, where it was supposed mm-hmm. to be him and Streisand. But like Tom Parker was like, I, he he gets top billing, which at that point, you're not getting top billing over Streisand. Um, and like, one, again, like the 50% of the profits of like everything, basically. I mean, yeah. he was he was up for apparently turned down uh, Rio Bravo. He, mm-hmm. was, he was supposed to be Dean Martin's character. No, no, he was supposed to be Ricky Nelson's character in Rio Bravo is what it was. Um, and yeah, man, get, the career he could have had West Side Story a few years later in Count Hot Tin Roof. That would have been an interesting career for Elvis Presley if that happened. Yep. Um, Robert Mitchum also turned down the role. Um, that's that's not a Mitchum role. That's just not a <laughs> Mitchum role. Uh, Lana Turner and Grace Kelly were both considered for Maggie at one point. Um, while it was well known around Hollywood that Marilyn Monroe really wanted the part, but not clear if she was ever considered for it. Honestly, out of those three, Monroe would have been the most interesting pick. Like, I love Grace Kelly and Lana Turner. C- Kelly would have been good, mm-hmm. but I think Monroe would have been interesting. Yeah, I would I would have been I would have been very interested to see Kelly and I think she could kind of bring that that life that that Maggie the cat has. I agree with you, you on know, that kind of fire to it. It'd have been different for her. It'd have been different for her because yeah. I'm not saying I'm not saying Maggie the cat's not a bad character, but I think it's a more uh great Grace has Grace Kelly has a very dis- distinct like uh upper class vibe to her sometimes mm-hmm. and Taylor can do kind of all that yeah. she can do middle class low class like a high class character and maggie feels like a high class ca- she is a high class character stuck in mississippi is what it kind of feels yeah. like 
Yeah. Um, couple of film facts. Uh, Burl Ives was 49 when this movie was shot. No, he wasn't. <laughs> he was one year older than Jack Car- Carson, who played Gooper. Wow. And, uh, 16 years older than Paul Newman at the time of shooting. Jesus, man, man, those were the yeah. People just age we, differently. People <laughs> age differently. It's just like nowadays. It's like it's funny when I'm looking at like actors in their 50s, and I was just like like, like looking for like kind of like roles of this i was like i gotta go for a dude in the 70s to fit like burl ives's character and like then he finally he's 40s tom, he says, tom cruise has made two mission impossible movies older than burl ives was when he <laughs> shot this movie <laughs> tennessee williams wrote the part of big daddy for burl ives um uh, who was primarily known as a folk singer up to his debut in this play mm um liz taylor developed a nervous stutter after the death of her husband but she said that putting on maggie's southern accent was the only thing that helped her overcome it okay i get that gave her gave her something to concentrate on yeah that makes sense yeah all right do you have any story questions for us on this one yeah how other than ones we've already posed i feel like we've posed posed a a lot we posed a lot of like how like when when do you think big daddy dies like finally when does that like I don't know. Sounds like sounds from the doctor like it's going to happen pretty soon. <laughs> the doctor's just like, here's some morphine. I wrote some instructions down, but do whatever you want with it. <laughs> and get ready. Yeah. Do you, what? I mean, what do you think happens with with Brick? Because Brick is like, what do you think Brick and Ma- or do you think Brick and Maggie have a family after this? Um, I do. I think if only to spite Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what it, what it kind of ends as is this kind of like mutual respect for each other that at least they're better than gooper and may yeah at, at the end of this and 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 you know this this idea that and, and it, it's 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 kind of tragic it is tragic especially when you factor in the the homosexual subtext to it that that what kind of brick eventually takes away from this is like the only way to kind of create or perpetuate love in this world is to have a kid but to be forced to kind of live this lie and like yes i'm sure he will love this kid but he's and 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 he does love maggie in some sense like i'm not saying you can't love somebody but um but to 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 still have to like he he comes away at the end of this knowing that he's gonna have to cover up that part of himself yeah for, for the rest of his life yeah uh no matter what kind of version you're looking at um Let's see what other questions do I have? Uh, yeah, do you do you think Gooper gets any money from Big Daddy when it's all done? I think Brick will bring Gooper I think on Brick, to run. Yeah, yeah, to run things at I, the end of the day, and Gooper Gooper will do very well. I th- yeah, I think Brick is like he he's William Holden and Sabrina, where he's just like here, mm. Bogart, you take care of the business. I don't. I just want to go off and like do my own thing. Is kind of the thing. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's probably it. I feel like he doesn't. Want, I think he he knows he's not a business guy. And he knows that 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 Gooper really wants it. And I feel like he probably helps gives him some and like some sort of financial uh, uh, reward in some way after Big Daddy mm-hmm. passes away. All right. It's awards time. This one's going to be interesting because everyone's kind of got equal share in this. Yes. Film, but, uh, yes. The Beatrice Strait Award for the actor actress with limited scenes who kills it. I mean, I for me, I think Gooper. I think I think Jack Carson as Cooper Gooper. See, I was going to I was going to say Madeline Sherwood. That's fair. I I think it's one of those two. I think that's those are the two you can kind of do it with. 
yeah and, and together they are a powerhouse that's the thing yeah it's like they're almost like never not together. Yeah. They've got some of those great moments of dialogue when she's like saying something. He'll be like, will you let me handle this? And then she's like, yeah, sure. And then she immediately he just says, like starts says, in Yeah, it starts in Yeah. So we'll, we'll do. Co- well, it's a co-Beatrice straight. I feel like they work hand in hand together. So Jack Carson, Madeline Sherwood makes sense to me. My husband is not going to die. Now, I want you to get that in your heads. Both of you. But we're hoping just as much as you are. And we intend to pray for But it. I'm not going to let you persuade Big Daddy to leave this Cooper place. Cooper is your firstborn. Well, he always had to carry a bigger load of the responsibilities than Brick. Brick never carried a thing in his life but a football or a highball. May, will you let me talk, please? Yes, of course. All right. All right. A 28,000 acre plantation is a mighty big thing to run. Almost single-handed. You had your law practice in Memphis. When did you ever run this place? Oh, Mama, let's be fair. What? Ever since Big Dad's health started failing him, Gooper has worked like a fool to keep this place up. May. Well, Gooper won't admit it. Well, he never thought of it as a duty. May! But Big Daddy don't even know half of what he owns the around here. The point is, I'd like to see this place run into the ground by a drunken ex-football hero. You shut up about my husband. You shut up. He has no right to slander. I got, I got a right to discuss my own brother with members of my own family which don't include you. All right. Annie Potts X Factor Awards supporting actor or actress that is the most memorable. I mean, that's Burl Ives. It's Big Daddy. Like, yeah, that's pretty 100%. easy. 100%. Like, it's it's like he captures it so well. And it's a shame that he doesn't get an Oscar nomination. Big Daddy is such a complex character. And he brings that forward so well. Yeah. It is, it, it's kind of wild how rich that character becomes under his performance. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think he. You like you talk about how like you know that you know the character of of uh of Sister Woman of May. I feel like you've all you've met a Big Daddy in your life at some point. Mm-hmm. There's you've met a, you've met that guy before that you probably don't like is the other thing too. Like he's mm-hmm. he's probably someone you don't like. Um, but yeah, I also wonder if that Oscar win is like a a year achievement award of like, yeah, this is for both movies basically. Yeah, I think so. People who are voting were like, I saw the big country. I also saw count on hot tin roof. Yeah. So I'm voting Burl lives. Check. But now quit this bull. Now I won't allow you to talk this way. Not even on your birthday. I don't I'll talk like I want to on my birthday or any other rotten day of the year. Anybody around here don't like it. They know what they can do about it. I know you don't mean that. You don't know nothing. You never did. You don't mean that. Oh, yes, I do mean it. I put up with a lot of bull around here because I thought it was dying. That's when you started taking over. Your loud voice and your old busybody button in here, there, and everywhere. Sashaying around here, making a big noise like a boss. Well, I'm the only boss around here. I built this place with no help from you. And I'll run this place till the day I die. Now, is that plain to you, Ida? Is that perfectly clear to you? I ain't gonna die. Ain't nothing wrong with me but a spastic calling. Made spastic, I reckon, by all the lies and liars I've had to put up with around here. And all the hypocrisy I've had to live with these 40 years that have lived with you. Now blow out them candles. All right. (laughs) And here we come to the Gene Hackman MVP award for the person who carries this movie. This is a tough one. Because I feel like Taylor has the first half of the movie, and I think Newman has the back half of the film. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I think that's where I think because when Newman kind of finally break when Brit kind of finally breaks out of the shell, Maggie's kind of relegated to the to the, like to the being an observer in the argument upstairs right. and wondering what's happening downstairs. So there's not much for her to do. And then Brick early on is kind of the, like he's in his shell, not wanting to talk to anyone. And Maggie's kind of making the chess moves. Maggie's yeah. going to the to the uh, the airport and and talking about talking to to Big Daddy and kind of all of that. She's the one motivating the the arguments they're having early on. Yeah, no, I agree completely. Um, yeah, I think we might have to call a tie on this one. You, you want to call a tie? Because my my, yeah. my 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 the balance is is Taylor. That's where like I, slowly. I yeah, I think it's a little bit more Taylor. Maybe we're maybe we're a little influenced by that poster. Yep. But um, <laughs> but no, you're you're absolutely right. The the dynamic of the film like shifts completely. At, yeah. At, 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 toward the middle of the film, where yeah, you're you're not getting a lot from Newman in the beginning, and then by the end of the film, he's just taking over the movie, you know, yeah. taking it over. Yeah. yeah. And and she's she's still carrying that fight upstairs, but. But yeah, it's it's become him and Big Daddy's film, where she, she has kind of the first half of the film because she is she is way more interested in what's happening downstairs. But no, she can't go down there during that time. Yeah, but yeah, I think I'm 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 happy to split it. Okay, all right, Newman Taylor, dynamic duo. This time I'm gonna finish that night in the hotel room. Skipper and I. We... I don't want to hear about it. Why won't you face the truth just once? About Skipper, about me, about yourself. Hey, everybody. Brick, honey. Are you going to bring that party up here or not? Kid and caboodle, son. That hey, won't do any good. Scuba, I'm going to say this, and I don't care if it's in front of them. Maggie. Do you want me to hit you with this crutch? You're still blaming me for Skipper's death? Now, don't you know that I could kill you with this crutch? Good Lord, man, do you think I'd care if Skipper you did? Skipper and I had a friendship. Now, why won't you let it alone? It's got to be told. But I don't want to hear it. It's got to be told and you never let me tell it. I love you and that's worth fighting for. Not Skipper. Skipper was no good. Maggie. Maybe I'm no good either. Nobody's good. But Brick, Skipper is dead. And I'm alive. Maggie. Maggie the cat is alive. I'm alive. Why are you afraid of the truth? And now we, we've gone over we've gone over some some possibilities already with some of the stage adaptations, but uh, you're making this film today. Yeah, yeah. Not in, not in 2008. Uh huh. Not in 2013. <laughs> you're making it today. Today. Who do you cast? Okay, so I have I have Big Daddy Brick and Maggie. Are the okay. ones I did. I feel like one of the. I'll, I'll say how how was Gooper again? You said when he or the actor who made who was, he was forty eight when they shot this. Okay, okay. Let me let me see. I want to. This was some. He might be too old. I had. I'll do Big Daddy first if that's okay. Okay. Yeah, he's he's too old. I was I was gonna say could you do a John Carroll Lynch's Gooper? But I feel like he's too old. But he was a pick I had for Big Daddy. Um. Ooh. Yeah, but I, I get someone who would play Gooper is I feel like that type of role, like that type of mm-hmm. character actor. All right, Big Daddy. So I said John Carroll Lynch. Uh, Paul Giamatti is one I have down. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay. You can see he's got that fire. But here's the one I think is the perfect choice for it. Mm-hmm. John Goodman. No. Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. He's he's already kind of being Big Daddy on Righteous Gemstones. Yeah, I fe- I feel like he would be a good 
big daddy character. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised he hasn't done that on stage. Me too. Me too. Do you want Brick or Maggie? Um, let's go Brick. I'm gonna okay. finish it off with Maggie. I have a few I have a few picks with this. Okay. So maybe a little too old, but also like Newman was almost like Newman was almost like 10 years older than Taylor, I think. They like that was surprising. There was a little bit of an age gap between them in the movie. And in, in the when they're acting. Okay. I have four names down for Brick. Uh I feel like two we always use at some point or we talk about. <laughs> Wyatt Russell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sold. Wyatt, <laughs> Wyatt Russell. Uh, he might not be much of an athlete because you got like, to see, like, could they be a, a, a football star? I'm sorry. Did you just say Wyatt no, no, Russell no, no, might no, no, not the be next much per- of an The next person. The next person I'd say. <laughs> okay. Next like, person Wyatt I'd say. was literally, was literally an, an athlete. professional hockey player. <laughs> yeah. Andrew Garfield's the next person I was going to say. He could be a track star. Okay. Okay. Got a, he's got a runner's body. Okay, uh, I'm gonna throw out this one too. Dan Stevens. Okay. Another name. My last pick. This is my curveball. This is my curveball. Zac Efron. Huh. It's uh, different. I don't know. That, I don't know if he's got the. I don't know if he does either. I don't know if he's got the chops, but I'd be interested to it's see it, him give it a go. Yeah, it's a curveball. I don't. I don't know. I don't know, but I'll look at it. Uh, okay. Wow. Those are some. Those are some solid picks you've given me because I'm. <laughs> You know, you know, I'm a Wyatt Russell guy, but you also know I've been a, I've been Team Garfield for, for a while going on <laughs> at least 10 a, years yeah, at least a decade, at least 11 yeah. years. Uh, and I know you like Dan Stevens. Tough call. Tough call. I'd be interested. I'd be I'd be very interested in each of their takes on this character. Yeah. For Maggie. I'm going to say this one out. If it was if it was a few I know it's, we're doing present day, but if it was a few years ago. Jessica Chastain, I think, would have been an interesting. Yeah, 100 interesting Maggie um the go-to one florence Pugh. like i think mm-hmm. florence Pugh would be an interesting maggie um another one i like i don't know she might look a little too young is the other thing but Catherine newton uh okay from she's in freaky is kind of the, one of the more recent things um she is someone like I, detective I, pikachu she's in detective pikachu she's about to be it's cassie lang and the ant-man and the uh, yeah. ant-man sequel uh this name we mentioned someone in the family earlier riley keogh okay for maggie granddaughter of elvis presley Mm-hmm. yeah definitely i could see that i think she had i think she has the ability where she could play that character give me, give me all right if we're if we're pairing them up i would do wiley keogh and and wyatt russell i would agree or andrew garfield and florence Pugh. okay that makes sense no zach efron in here no Although it'd be a little weird with 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 two two Brits, two Brits, playing, yeah, playing a classic piece of Southern, Southern literature. literature. It, it would make but, sense in the current ma- world that we're in. That's true. That's um, true. Is John Goodman the pick for Big Daddy? Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay, I'm down. I agree with that. So, couple versions, guys. You pick. You create your fantasy team. <laughs> yeah, we we just put together the New York version and the West End version. The West End version. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the who would be the British person? Who would be the British person that plays Big Daddy? Uh, on the West End, Timothy Spall. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Okay, makes sense to me. <laughs> um. So to wrap it up, uh, does this film fit with any other genres other than the Southern? I don't. Or, or yeah. I don't know if it does. I mean, it's like family drama, like. Mm. I don't think it really does fit with any other genre besides this. I think this is like inherently Southern. 
mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Unless you are you want to argue like a a coming of age tale for like the no. old, like that. He's an older guy who's like trying to become an adult now because that's the line no. of just like you're a thirty year old boy who's like gonna be a fifty year old boy or whatever. Um, no, yeah, I think, I think, I think it's pure. No, I think Southern. you're right, but but to dive into that a little bit more, how specifically does this fit into the this this Southern genre that we're discovering this month? Well, so. I mean, you have this idea. It's like in the DNA of this idea of sexual repression that's that's there. Um, you have this idea of family conflict. It's always a, that's that's kind of it permeates the genre in a way uh, throughout the decades. Um, I think you have this secrets untold type thing. There's certain th- there's certain things we've talked about this. I think privately uh, in like our kind of our group chat that we have of like. There's just certain things in the South that like you couldn't believe anywhere else but the South. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like there's just secrets you have. And yep. anywhere else you wouldn't believe it happened there. But if it happened in the South, you're like, that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. and there's always like, I feel like it was uh like in my it wasn't southern but i watched something recently they talked about how like every family kind of has that dark secret or whatever i'm not saying this is a this is a dark secret but i'm saying every family kind of has that secret that like or every person has a secret they don't want to get out and i feel Mm. like this is kind of there and yeah so sexual oppression i think just repressed feelings as well is is the the idea of like the how to receive love how to give love type thing um yeah, I I think that's all very apparent in this southern genre. Yeah, and there there's also this kind of within the like southern gothic genre, or even just kind of the gothic genre in general, is the idea of this kind of like these grand estates, these huge manors, but still there being like something rotten. Yeah, within the core, like no matter how how no matter where you're at or how nice your house is or how well to do your family is like everyone's got these, these deep, dark secrets. There's always secrets in the cellar, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. um, and I I think, and a little bit too, it's not fully discussed, but there is an interesting thing about class, like in a way, and this is more like an upper class, upper class story we're telling. Um, there is an interesting kind of view of class in this. Another thing too, really small thing, uh, the importance of football in the Southern society True. is very big it's in the this cotton bowl system. Cotton bowl. And he's, and I think there's a, and she's talking about like when, when Maggie's kind of talking about like the football, like football and talking about Skipper, how he was bad, like how, because he was bad, he wasn't really a man type thing. kind of feels like, um, mm. football was, was briefly a mention in to kill a mockingbird. Um, I think even more so in the book. Um, so it's interesting that, that, uh brick is a football player that's mm-hmm. a very kind of inherent like southern thing especially for the time i think i think in this kind of period is that southern footballism is a, again a very masculine thing and that's part of this character so is that all on cat on so. a hot tin roof that is cat on a hot tin roof well thank you for picking it again i've never seen it before this you finally were able to make me mark, mark it off my watch list. It's All been right. sitting there for a bit. Um, so I'm happy I got to see it. Uh, so next week, the current plan, we don't know. Things are changing right now. It's something Things are always <laughs> changing for us. Uh, but right now, the current plan next week is to talk about uh, fried green tomatoes. I have a, a guest coming on to talk about that with me. 
it's I didn't mean to, but it makes sense that it's the second Alabama story we're <laughs> talking about. And second Alabama story that was not shot in Alabama. So there you go. Um but that's all we have for you in this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the Nation Podcast on our podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, make sure you write us a review on whatever platform you listen to the show on. Yeah, guys. Uh, any feedback we can get from you helps us shape the show a little bit more and gets our name out there, gets the show out there. So hit us up. Let us know what you're feeling. Like we just got a review from uh, Pazu7. Uh, he goes, hey, or they go, hey, guys, nice podcast. Just found you. Why, while you're do, while doing a search on West Side Story, which I'm looking forward to in December, five stars, even on a first listen, fun and informative. And he has this piece that we'll talk about real quick. One thing I didn't hear you mention in trivia is that the reason Tucker Smith sang Cool is because the placement of the song was changed from the film. And the original play, Cool, was set before the Rumble. Uh, and the film, it's after the Rumble because a character has been de- is deceased that usually sings it in the show. And in most cases, in certain cases afterwards, theater productions actually changed the placement of the song in order for the character uh, the Tucker Smith plays to sing it uh, anyway I'll be checking out your earlier episodes and there's quite a few to listen to thanks thanks for the information I think we talked briefly about Tucker Smith as cool and like why it was changed but I didn't we didn't know about the uh, theater productions that changed it afterwards so thanks for telling us mm-hmm. that little bit of trivia Pazu7 and we hope you guys can go write reviews for us like Thomas said you can do something like that you can do whatever you want to say tell us what you're watching that you've listen to us talk about on the show uh we love hearing from you guys and if you haven't already make sure you like us on facebook twitter and instagram all those places thomas as always thank you for joining me absolutely and thank you all for listening we hope to listen to more episodes soon bye